Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Thursday, February the 29th, 2024. It is currently 7.55 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. And what I need to be doing right here in this studio is I need to take a piece of paper, I need to take a pencil, and I need to write a letter. Now, I know, I know, that's something that you used to do way back in the olden days, but but come on, just, just, just play along, all right? I need to write a letter. Dear Heavy Metal Band Saxon, I just recently listened to your album, Hell, Fire, and Damnation. And as a result of your album, Hell, Fire, and Damnation, I have now done like, I don't know, four hours of Bible teaching and theological discussion because of your album, Hell, Fire, and Damnation. I would like to thank you for providing me... So much material. Well, in reality, the the heavy metal band Saxon did give us an album called Hellfire and Damnation, right? Came out last month. The song has inspired the series, Satan in Your Head. But the reality is they just got us started. The next thing that happened is, well, we did kind of a, a message on, you know, heavy metal theology, And we just kind of brought up a lot of questions about Satan. What can he do? What can he not do? And as as a result of that, one of our listeners doing what I always ask you to do, especially in 2024, they're participating in the Sermons 2.0 app sermon challenge. They grabbed the Sermons 2.0 app and started looking up things like power of Satan, Satan's power. And they found a sermon entitled How Satan Gets in Your Head and the Rest is history. It started with a heavy metal album and a heavy metal band. Then it goes to a listener who gives us a sermon. And then in some ways, the wheels have come off. The train has crashed. The boat has sank. I, the building has collapsed. I, what The mountain has <laughs> slipped into the ocean. The tidal wave. I don't know what you want to describe. It, it's definitely gone in directions that I was not quite prepared for. We have now spent multiple hours working on this and we've kind of reached a point where now it's getting just, it's getting a little frustrating, right? Because we've got this idea that Satan somehow can put thoughts in your mind. He can kind of, he can kind of do something. It's not clearly defined, but we do know this, this, it's not clearly defined exactly how it works. But according to the sermon that we've been reviewing, again, how Satan can get in in your head, please go listen to it and download it from the Sermons 2.0 app. It, it, it seems clear, at least according to the sermon, according to the hypothesis being put forth in the sermon, that Satan can go get so into the head of a believer that it renders the believer powerless, that Satan can get so in the head of a believer that they can be enslaved to do the purpose of Satan. 
So that clearly seems to indicate Satan can, I mean, almost basically take over your mind. And if he can take over your mind, then I don't know. If he, if Satan even has the possibility of taking over your mind, then at that point, I don't know how you can ever trust any thought you ever had, because how do you know Satan hasn't taken over your mind? You say, well, I know it. You know, you think you know it. Satan can make you be, can make you be thinking that your mind hasn't been taken over when it has. And I raised all kinds of hypothetical questions taking that concept to its logical conclusion. And if that wasn't frustrating enough, trying to figure all of that out, because at the same time, supposedly I'm indwelt with the Holy Spirit who's leading, guiding, directing, empowering me and making me more than a conqueror. At the same time, though, Satan can take over my mind. And so I don't know if God is doing anything, if I'm supposed to do anything. It just becomes all this convoluted, mess that if you're trying to to map it out and chart it out it just like it just looks like someone took a pencil on paper and just started scribbling and just drawing circles and lines and it's like I don't get it I don't get it now you may think it makes perfect sense I I will argue it's all convoluted if you just start asking some questions but then it really got weird because then the hypothesis not only is this hypothesis that Satan can get into your brain and do this then the hypothesis is this, that no sinful, evil thought arises from within a Christian. That any evil thought you have came from external source. It came, Satan put it there. Satan put it in your mind. Because a Christian doesn't have any evil thoughts inside of them, which means then they would have to believe and teach in the eradication of the old nature. And if the old nature is completely eradicated, well, then sinlessness is not only possible, it is probable. And not only that, if there is no sinful nature, then whatever evil thought Satan can put into your mind, of what value is it putting it into your mind because you have no nature that that thought can up, up, appeal to? You have no nature that would even, would even, I mean, you've got to have something inside of you that will respond to it, right? Isn't that what makes those thoughts so powerful? It's because you have a sinful nature that goes, oh yeah, I want that. But that has not been addressed. It's just the sinful nature is gone. And I want to remind you of two passages. Now, I know this sermon is coming from, is presenting a hypothesis that would argue that these verses are not true of a believer. And I will argue it is very true of a believer. And the reason I know it's true of a believer is because of one clear test. If these verses aren't true of a believer, and you're going to answer these verses by saying, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature, the old is gone and everything has become new, then I will tell you if that's true, if the old is completely gone and everything is new, well, then you should be able to be sinless. And if you cannot get to sinlessness, that means there is something holding you back, pulling you back. And what could that be? I think that's because not everything is new. Positionally, I'm a new creature. The old is gone and everything is new. Practically, the old nature is still very much there. Jeremiah 17, 9. Let's just consider Jeremiah 17, 9. Now, I know there's some debate on how this should be translated because it's different in the Septuagint and we could get into that whole discussion. But in most of our Bibles, we would read this. 
The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Now, I know many believe, no, no, we no longer have that heart. That heart has been completely removed. We have a new heart and it's, it's not deceitful and it's not wicked. Well, then why can we not then be sinless? And then in the gospel of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, chapter seven, Mark chapter seven, I kind of want to go back and read all of this. There's, there's basically a discussion happening. If you go back to Mark chapter seven, verse one, then came together unto him the, the Pharisees and certain of the scribes, which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of his disciples eat bread with defile, with uh, with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. All right, so there's this huge discussion and there's all this back and forth and Jesus talks, uh, accuses them of putting their tradition before the word of God and there's all this, this back and forth, all right? And then Jesus says this, and when he had called the people unto him, he said unto them, hearken unto me, every one of you and understand. This is Mark chapter seven, now verse 15. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, but the things which come out of him, those are they that defile the man. If any man have ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning the parable. They didn't quite understand what he meant. And he says, uh, are ye so without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatsoever thing from whatever thing from without entereth into the man, it cannot defile him because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly and goeth out into the drought, purging all meats. And he said, that which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man for from within, out of the heart of man proceeds evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, Thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. All of those things come from within you. And that is true of a believer. He's, he has stated in the sermon that we are reviewing. No, 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 none of that evil stuff comes from within a believer. The, I, I completely reject that hypothesis. The reason you have evil thoughts, the reason you have evil desires, the reason you keep sinning is because you have a sinful nature. Let me read Jesus' words again. He is saying this to his disciples. He is saying this to his disciples. That which cometh out of the man, that defileth the man. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murderers, thefts, covetous, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile the man. It comes from within. It comes from within. The book of James chapter 1. So that's Mark chapter 7. You may want to mark that down. That's Mark chapter 7. And I'll look at James chapter 1. I'll look at James chapter 1. James chapter 1. James chapter 1. We'll start in verse 14. James chapter 1, verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. 
See, it's your own lust. It's something that arises from within you. The issue is inside of you. He is claiming that no evil thought, no bad thought, no suicidal thought, no negative thought arises from within a believer. It comes from outside and Satan puts it there. Now, if Satan puts it there, then the issue is, well, wait a minute. I thought I've been dwelt by the power of God and God, God dwell, God dwells in my mind and in my soul. And I'm like, why isn't God, why is God letting the thought in? He doesn't, he hasn't addressed that yet. He's just telling us, hey, it doesn't come from within. He, the, the call is not coming from within the house. It's outside of the house. Now, again, if you have no sinful nature, if it's gone, eradicated, then sinlessness should be the rule. Not Well, I mean, it's not even an exception considering no one has ever done it other than Christ because, well, he was God incarnate. No human being who's lived a Christian life has ever made it without sin. It's sin, 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 internally, externally, in thought, word, and deed by what we do and by what we leave undone. So we're going to go back to this and we got to try to finish this review. At this point, I feel like that I don't know if we're, I don't think we're going to gain much more from this. So if we don't finish this, we don't finish this at this point, unless someone tells me, hey, you got to go, you know, you, you got to go listen to the, at least the last 30 seconds or whatever the case may be. We're just going to go and we're going to stop when we stop. Uh, but I would challenge you to look at Jeremiah 17, 9, Mark 7, 21 through 23, and James 1, 14 through 15. And just understand it's inside of us is the problem. And that is true of believer and unbeliever. We have a sinful nature. All right. Now let's see. As he, I backed this up. Maybe I backed it up a little too far, but I wanted to give us some kind of continuity so that we can kind of enter back into this discussion. What you do have control over is the thoughts that dwell there. It's a big difference. Do you have control who shows up on your doorstep and rings the doorbell? Typically, I can't control who shows up on the doorstep, but can I control who comes in the front door into my home? Absolutely. See, that's the same way it is with your mind. You cannot control who shows up at the doorstep of your mind. Some very unpleasant thoughts will show up on the doorstep of your mind and ring the doorbell over and over and over and over. No, seriously, that is something called spiritual oppression. And it's a reality. We're going to talk about that next. Now, just to remind you, his, his spiritual oppression is the thought coming to your mind over and over and over. But remember, it's not coming from inside of you. It's coming from outside of you. And at this point, he's pretty much put it on, on Satan, that Satan oppresses you by Satan sending thought after thought after thought after thought after thought after thought to your door. Now, God is dwelling inside of you, is supposed to be empowering you, but somehow you can open the door. So even though God is there, God can't stop you from opening the door. And once you open the door, then you start dwelling on that thought, then that controls everything else. And now, he, and remember in part, in the last part, he really confused how thoughts controls feelings, and he didn't even get into how feelings control. It got all really confusing and just confounding, and I, oh, it, it was it was a little bit uh, maddening at, at times. But let, we'll just continue his. So his issue is everything's external, 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 external. So in other words, 
and at the end of 2023, I put forth the idea that during 2024, we need to spend time focusing on fearing God and fearing ourselves. We must fear ourselves. His hypotheses, even though he's not stated this way, you need to fear everything outside of you. Because it's going to come knock on your door. And what you have to do is be so afraid of what's outside of you that you don't open the door. Where I'm saying, look, you can lock the door. You can push the dresser up before the door. You can lock it, bolt it. You can, you can, you can build a wall around the door. You can do everything. The issue is inside the house. It's you. The evil thoughts, the evil desires, they arise from inside of you, not outside of you. The outside thoughts are only attractive because of the internal depravity inside of you. Next week, as we talk about the strongholds of Satan in our lives, oppression is when the thoughts keep ringing the doorbell. You keep running them off, they come back, keep ringing the doorbell. Over and over and over and over again. That is oppression. That's one of Satan's tactics. But you cannot control the unpleasant, ugly, impure, selfish, all the ugly things about human nature. You cannot control those thoughts ringing the doorbell and standing on the doorstep of your mind. So that doesn't mean you're an evil person because a quadruple X-rated thought shows up on the doorstep of your mind. Okay, see now, hey, if a quadruple X-rated, so, you know, XXXX thought shows up in your mind, hey, you're not evil. I mean, I I don't know if he's using that like evil is different than sinful. I don't know if he's using it. I don't know if he's using it in a different way. But when I hear that, he's saying, hey, you're not sinful if you have that XXXXXXX thought. It's not your fault that it shows up at your door. See, it's external. It's not your fault. Satan brought the thought to you. Now, your responsibility is, did you dwell on it? I'm going to argue the XXX thought, unless you are looking at something external that's creating the thought, there's a high probability if you're not looking at anything and that thought just comes to you, it's arising from within. He wants to put the blame to Satan. And I'm like, no, that's your, that's the reality of your sinful nature. In fact, I personally do not believe that thought can come out of the heart of a born-again child of God. You may argue with me on that and we'll deal with it sometime, but I don't believe it can come out of the heart of a born-again child of God. Why? Because the Bible says you're a new creation in Christ. You have His nature. Now, I'm going to tell you where that thought does come from in just a moment. Okay, there's this hypothesis restated, and we covered this in the last hour, or in the last hour of this series. Uh, the last broadcast wasn't on this, but yeah, the, the last broadcast we did in this series, we covered this. That he basically believes you no longer have an old nature. Every, you're completely new. The old is completely gone. Now, I know that that's a common teaching in the evangelical church. You are a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. The only problem is if you've been around Christians for five minutes, you realize there's plenty of the old very much. There's fighting and bickering and backstabbing and gossip and fornication and lying and deceit and church splits and divorce and and abuse within the home. And there's a million other things that happen in churches all the time. And in Christian homes, you can try to pretend you can dress it up. You can try to make yourselves look really good. But bye. 
behind that uh, that robe of self-righteousness are sinful people with sinful hearts, and we may cover it up, we may commit different sins, but it's all right there. And you can you can tell me that it's not, and congratulations if you figured it out. But you keep telling yourself it's not there. You keep pretending that it's all gone and you're no longer like that. You keep telling yourself that because sooner or later, I don't know when, it may be a midnight, one o'clock in the morning, you're going to be laying there. And I think at some point you're going to come face to face with the reality that you're not as godly as you think you are. You're not as righteous as you pretend to be. Sooner or later, it's going to be seen. It may not be seen by anyone outside of your house, but I guarantee you, your kids know, your wife knows, your husband knows, your friends know, your parents know. Sooner or later, they know that all of the talk that I'm a new creature in the old is gone and I'm so much better than everyone. I thank thee, God, that I'm not like these other people. I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't do. Yeah, okay. All right. You just keep telling yourself that. I am a new creature in Christ, in my position. I am new and the old is gone. You know why I'm new? Because before Christ and in Christ, I am declared to be perfect and holy, not by an infused righteousness, but by an imputed righteousness. We've talked about this countless times. Somehow, the churches that arise out of the Protestant Reformation, or at least in the same stream of theology, have seemed to deny imputed righteousness, and we want to go back to Roman Catholicism and teach almost some kind of idea of an infused righteousness. He wants to argue, hey, the old is gone. So no evil thought, no bad thought arises from within you. So any lust or anything evil that you feel, it did not come inside of you. You're not to blame. Now you're only to blame because you're thinking on it. You you may be to blame because you act on it, but hey, it's not really inside of you. It's the outside thing. So what you need to do is lock everything down. Turn off the TV, turn off the radio, don't read books, closure. Hey, you know, I see no evil. I hear no evil. I speak no evil. I desire no evil. I've just got to, I got to close my eyes. I got to put hands over my eyes. Eyes, hands over my ears, hands over my mouth, and I'll be good. I, I got to lock everything down. Let's go to a monastery and lock every. I can't see it. I can't look at it. Oh, oh no, 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 no. Don't, know, don't, don't answer the door because all that bad stuff, all the bad stuff's out there. We're all the good people in here. Yeah, you, you do that. You lock the door, you bolt it, you push everything up against it. You all act like you're all so wonderful and godly. And guess what you'll find inside that locked up church where you've kept the bad world at bay and you're not letting it in? It's going to show up inside the building. Lying, gossip, slander, lust. It's all going to be there because you're still sinners. I don't know why we have such a problem acknowledging that. Let's see where he's going to take his hypotheses that none of this comes from within. It all comes from without. And Satan is the one doing it. I don't think a born-again child of God can have a suicidal thought from their own heart. But I believe it can show up on the doorstep of a believer's mind and ring the doorbell. 
And if the believer does not understand where that thought comes from, they're succumbing to the satanic strategy. They will embrace that thought as their own. And the battle is going from bad to worse to devastation and defeat. See, see, what his thing is, is what you don't want to do is think that the thought is yours. See, his whole hypothesis, don't ever think the thought is yours. It's not yours. It came from Satan. The devil made you think that. The devil put the thought there. The devil rang your doorbell. Not you. It has nothing to do with you. You're, you're innocent. Yeah, I mean, you're basically sinless. Oh, so where did the thought come from? It, hey, 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 don't feel bad. It's not you. It's not you. It's that mean devil. That devil's there. That devil keeps putting that thought there. We got to find a way to keep the devil from putting the thought there. And now you're going to have to do it. Now, even though you're indwelt by God, supposedly the Holy Spirit's there and he's there to give you, to make you more than a conqueror. God doesn't stop Satan from putting the thought there. It's your job to recognize the thought there. And then you've got to do something with the thought. So it's going to really fall on you. Even though, no, 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 it's not you. It's God. But I mean, really, it's you. It's really, no, 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 it's God. No, no, it's really you. It's really, it's really, hey, but don't feel bad because, hey, that thought didn't come from you. It, it, It came from Satan. You've got to understand, you cannot control the thoughts that come to your mind or flash across the screen, but you can determine which thoughts you're going to dwell on. That is the power of God in your life, Romans chapter 6. Okay, so the power of God is not to stop the thought. The power of God is for you to be able to grab that thought and not dwell on it. So you have the power of God to not dwell on any bad thought. Meaning, therefore, since you have the power of God, you have the ability to never dwell on a bad thought, never let a bad thought turn into um, impacting your feelings and therefore not impacting your emotions. Now you can go back and listen to the last part where he covered all of that. So, so literally you have the power of God to never let a thought do more than just show up. You have that power, meaning that you have no sinful nature and you have the power to stop all thoughts, meaning you should be sinless. You you can't, you can't teach all of this and say, well, no, 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 no. You're still going to sin. Why? I have no sinful nature and I have the power of God to control my thinking. Well, if you have the power of God to control your thinking and you have no sinful nature, I mean, you're about three seconds away from walking on water. Let me put it this way. There's a Jewish understanding of the importance of the mind. An 18th century rabbi said, Man's mind is the holy of holies, and to admit evil thoughts is like setting up an idol in the temple of God. The temple of God. That, to me, is borderline blasphemous. The human mind is not the holy of holies. The human mind is corrupt. The human mind is impacted by our sinful nature. That's why our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. That's why we're constantly struggling and, and, and having difficulty to, I don't, you can quote any Jewish rabbi. I don't care. It can be 37 Jewish rabbis. They clearly don't understand human depravity. 
Let it, his idea is your mind is the holy of holies. And what you have to do is you can't let any evil thought get into the holy of holies because that's like corrupting the temple of God. I'm, no, 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 no. Your mind is not the holy of holies. Your mind is corrupt. You say, well, the Bible says we're the temple of the living God. We're the temple of the living God because we are saved by grace alone, faith alone, because of Christ alone. God dwells inside of us, even though we are still yet a sinner. That's mercy. That's grace. Because we are declared to be righteous because of an imputed righteousness. Like you, you can't, that this is a complete denial of any internal depravity being left in us. This is like literally the complete eradication of the old man. This is like the old man doesn't even exist anymore. Well, then I don't know why you're not sinless. Every time you allow an impure, evil thought into your mind and you're dwelling on it, it's like setting up an idol, an unholy thing in the Holy of Holies. You're not the Holy of Holies. I can't believe that we would even try to consider ourselves the Holy of Holies. And let me tell you something. There's already something. uh, There's already an idol in the Holy of Holies. And it's your sinful nature. Because your sinful nature is all about the exaltation of yourself. It's selfish. It is self-seeking. It is self-glorifying. The idol is yourself. You don't have to set up an idol. There's already an idol there. You worship yourself. You love yourself. You serve yourself over and 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 over again. Because let's face it, God dwells in your mind as well as in your spirit. Now, okay, now, if God dwells in my spirit, if God dwells in my mind, then how does the evil thought get in my mind? Now, now, look, the fact that God dwells in us, it always raises all kinds of questions. I, I'm, I'm the first to admit that it raises lots of, of deep theological questions. I think God's presence in us is mainly to show ownership and that, and it's almost like, hey, it's, it's like a down payment. I'm here just showing I own this and one day I'm going to redeem it. One day I'm going to glorify this. I'm, oh, I'm here now. I'm in it. I possess it, showing that it belongs to me. So no one else can take it. No one else can possess it. Satan, you can't possess it. I own it. And one day I will glorify it. In the meantime, it's still full of sin. Now he wants, he says that God is there empowering and guiding and directing. And he's also in your mind. Well, if he's doing all of these other things, how does the evil thought get in? If God is there, why doesn't God push out the evil thoughts? Now, are you going to say God is doing that or not doing that? And if he's not doing that, then there's no real, you can tell everyone God is there, but don't tell me that he's empowering or doing something because if he was doing that, at the very bare minimum, the power should not allow any of the evil thoughts to get into my head since they're not originating from within and God is there supposedly empowering. Well, then clearly he could keep the evil thoughts from ever getting anywhere near me. The employee decides to embezzle money from the company because of financial difficulties the employee is having. Do you think that that employee just sees some money and decides, 
I'll take it and put it in my purse or in my coat pocket and walk off with it? Not likely. Typically, that employee has entertained the thought of embezzling money from the company long before it actually happens. And not only do they entertain thoughts about embezzling, they begin to entertain thoughts about how they could pull it off. Are you with me? So before the actual embezzlement takes place, this has been a theme of their thought life. They have been dwelling upon it. They've been embellishing it. They've been working it out in their thought life long before they actually commit the crime. Or let me give you another example. How about adultery? I would think it would be an extremely rare thing that an individual would commit adultery on the spur of a moment. Rather, I think that individual entertains the thought of moral impurity and marital unfaithfulness. And at first they may reject it, but eventually it rings on the doorbell and they let it in. And the, the lustful thoughts arise from within. There may be external things that feed or appeal, but the the that it's inside of us. It's inside of us. That that's what the passage in Mark literally said, right? Let me go back to it. Mark chapter seven. Uh, for from within, out of the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, and murders. Adultery, fornication, and murder. That's why Jesus said that in many cases, whether ever committing an act, you can already be guilty of the act because of what's going on inside of you. They begin to kind of dwell on it. And then they may say, no, I don't need to go there. And they'll throw it out. But eventually it rings the doorbell. The second time it rang the doorbell, it found entrance. This time, the individual lets it come in. Maybe this person's not having a very good relationship with their spouse right now. Maybe times have changed. So the evil one knows, hey, we'll bring that thought back again. And so the third time, the individual embraces that thought, begins embellishing it, begins uh, not kicking it out. And eventually, because that thought is beginning to take up residence as a guest in that individual's mind, the individual begins seeing some individuals at the workplace and they begin fantasizing about unfaithfulness with a fellow worker or church member or civic club member or neighbor. And they begin wondering what it would be like to be unfaithful with that person. And eventually in their mind they begin plotting how they would begin initiating relationship that will eventually culminate in marital unfaithfulness. Do you see what that person has done? Before they ever committed the act of adultery, this crime against God, against their marriage covenant, against their spouse, this crime against their children, this crime against their fellow believers in the church of which they are a part, has been working itself out in their thought life. In their thought life. Now, as I'm sharing some of these, you may not have committed adultery. You may not. 
Okay, I, I, ho- I know I know he has to know that you've already committed adultery in your heart. You've already committed it in your heart if you desire it, if you lust for it. You've already committed it. So whether you commit the act, now, yes, there's a difference between the act and the thinking, at, 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 not theologically, in God's eyes, you're already guilty of an adultery or fornication inside, internally. But he's, his idea is, hey, that could not originate inside of the believer. It didn't come from the believer. See, Satan had to ring the doorbell. Satan brought it to you. So you had adulterous thoughts, not because you have a sinful heart, but because Satan gave you the adulterous heart or gave you the adulterous thought, and then you brought it in, and then you started dwelling on it. See, it didn't arise from within you. So he he is saying that the spiritual war is not fight and fought internally. Until it's really fought externally. What you have to do is keep Satan. What well, Satan's going to ring the doorbell. You just got to not open the door. So to him, he's taken the entire spiritual war and placed it outside of you because the, the war inside is over. The sinful nature is gone. You no longer have it. So you just got to not open the door. Just don't open the door. And because, and guess what? Why would you want to open the door? There's nothing inside of you that would want to open the door because you no longer have a sinful nature. So I don't even know why you would open the door. But you just don't open the door. That that's that seems to be the answer here. Out of embezzled, but you know the Holy Spirit showing you in your own life where you have fallen and it was because your thought life was under his enslaving control. Now, here, here we go again. Your thought life was under the enslaving control of Satan. If Satan can control your thought life, then you can't trust. Then how then can you then determine that you're thinking the wrong way? If Satan is controlling your thinking, then you don't have any thinking to be able to determine that your thinking is wrong. You say, well, no, I have the Holy Spirit. So, so then Satan, then Satan can control all of your thinking. Then the Holy Spirit's controlling your thinking. And if the Holy Spirit's controlling your thinking, then Satan can control your thinking. But you've already said Satan has enslaved your thinking. So Satan has enslaved your thinking. Then the Holy Spirit tells you that your Satan, that your thinking is enslaved by Satan. Well, then how are you perceiving that your thinking has been enslaved by Satan? Because if the Holy Spirit shows you that, didn't your mind... Pers- okay, now, now, I don't even know how any of this works. If your thinking is enslaved by Satan, then you cannot trust any thought. You can't trust any interpretation of Scripture. You can't trust anything you think about a sermon. You can't trust anything because your thinking is enslaved by Satan. Like, th- this is so bizarre. Like, your thinking can be enslaved by Satan. Well, then I, then I can't trust my thinking. So then how do I combat the thinking? Well, you've got to think about the thinking, but I can't think about the thinking if the thinking has been enslaved. That means Satan has hijacked the computer. Then you don't, you don't have control anymore. Are you saying he only enslaved your thinking in that one area? But the other areas are still operating perfectly? The whole thing just becomes so like, I'm trying to understand the hypotheses, but if you take it to its logical conclusion, Satan has enslaved your thinking. Well, then that's it. The end, the war is over. It's over. You're done. You're finished. You're finished. So it was, but he said, no, the Holy Spirit shows you. How is the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit, what? So now you don't even, the Holy Spirit speaking to you directly. Is this extra biblical revelation? Is it, is this a feeling? Well, how can I trust my feelings if Satan is controlling my thinking? 
Because you've already established earlier in the sermon that thinking controls your feelings. Well, if Satan is controlling my thinking, then I can't trust my feelings because my feelings are controlled by Satan. So then how does this Holy Spirit let me know that my thinking has been hijacked? Is it giving me a feeling? Well, I can't trust that feeling. No, the Holy Spirit's giving you the feeling. So then the Holy Spirit's giving me a feeling and I'm going to trust a feeling to determine, but I can't trust my thinking. Oh, okay, no. I don't even know. How do you even map this out? You can go in a lot of different directions with this. I don't have time to give you all the illustrations. But you had a father who abused you as a child, and Satan has built a stronghold in your life. And every time your father comes to your mind, Satan grabs your thought life, and he has enslaved it. It is in such bondage that all kind of emotions start surfacing. And you'll make all kind of poor, bad choices. And Satan's just got you right under his thumb. See, this seems to indicate that Satan literally can put you in bondage. That all Satan has to do is he gets into your brain and it's over. You're done. You're finished. You're finished. Now, I don't know how I'm supposed to overcome this since he's controlling the very thing that I need to be able to do anything. My brain. <laughs> if he controls your brain, how then do you combat it? Because you got to think, you got to process, you got to examine, but you can't do any of that if Satan's the one controlling the thinking. Let us move on quickly because time is flying by. But as goes your thought life, so go your feelings, and so go your choices. Okay, see? Oh, he, this is so utterly just confounding and discombobulated. I don't even know the words. Okay, so your thinking controls your feelings. Now, he's not even entered. And again, over and over and over, there's discussion about how feelings impact our thinking. But he's saying thinking controls the feelings, not that the feelings ever control the thinking. So, but so if Satan controls your thinking, well, then he controls your feelings. Therefore, he controls your actions. So then how do you combat this? Because my thinking, if my thinking is completely under the control or under the thumb of Satan, I can't, I cannot trust any of my thinking. And if, if Satan controls the thinking, then he controls my feelings. Therefore, I can't trust my thinking and I can't trust my feelings. I don't know how you even then engage in any, what do you even do at this point? So we understand there's a battle. We understand there's a battlefield. That battlefield is the battlefield for your mind and your thought life. But what is the battle plan? How is it that we can find victory or fall to disastrous defeat? The key is in verse 5, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. The Apostle Paul says, We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. In other words, Every thought we embrace must honor the Lord Jesus Christ or it must be rejected. Did you hear that? This is the battle plan. Every thought that comes into your head has to be rejected that is not under the Lordship of Christ. Now, i got no problem examining every thought that comes into my mind. I got no problem. Now, remember, he's injected. He's placed Satan here. 
He grabs Satan from John 10, 10, where Satan isn't in John 10, 10. That's an utter, complete misreading of that text. So he misinterpreted John 10, 10, and he grabbed Satan, and he drugged Satan, and he threw him in here to 2 Corinthians 10. I am to process what I'm thinking and examine it in light of God's word. But he has established, he has put forth a hypothesis that Satan himself can take control of your thinking. Well, if he can take control of my thinking, then how can I take every thought captive? Because I've already, my thinking has been made captive to Satan. See, what, what he's not told me what to do once Satan takes control. Once Satan, now what he seems to imply, Satan can take control of your thinking, but then I can now think about Satan having control of my thinking, and then I can think in such a way to get Satan out of the control. But then Satan is not controlling. Satan is not enslaving. Satan doesn't have any power. If I can outthink the one controlling the thinking, then I'm the one in the control of the thinking. Satan is not in control of the thinking. But you've already said that Satan can enslave our thinking. That we can be under his control. Well, no, no. If he, if I'm under his control, then I can't use my thinking to outthink his thinking. <laughs> it just becomes, it just, it just, it, it, this becomes like a circle without a beginning or an end, just going in a circle where, where you're just saying things that sound authoritative. They sound great, but they don't mean anything when you take them to their logical conclusion. Can you do that? Can you bring every thought in your head under the Lordship of Christ? How many thoughts go through your head in 24 hours? Would you say a thousand thoughts? Five thousand thoughts? Ten thousand thoughts if you have an active mind and imagination? I don't know, but there are a lot of thoughts. Can you bring every thought under the obedience of the Lordship of Christ? Well, I'm not sure you can, but the Holy Spirit working in you and through you can. Okay, wait. So I can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can. Well, if the Holy Spirit can, then why doesn't he? If the Holy Spirit can take every thought captive, well, then none, Satan, then how does Satan ever take control? If the Holy Spirit can do this, take every thought now, are you saying the Holy Spirit can, but he needs my help? So then the Holy Spirit can't without my, or the Holy Spirit, I, wait, if the Holy Spirit can do this, well, then I should never have a thought that gets through the front door because I've got the Holy Spirit there and he can take every thought captive. So I just say, dear Holy Spirit, take every thought captive and I'll never have another sinful thought. Now, it can't arise from within me because I no longer have a sinful nature according to this. That's been eradicated. So therefore, why doesn't the Holy Spirit just stop it? He's already established. You can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can. Well, so does the Holy Spirit can or does the Holy Spirit does? Does he do it or can he do it? And if he can only, if he only can do it, but he doesn't do it, why doesn't he do it? Because if he can do it, then no Christian should ever have a sinful thought that he dwells on. In fact, the, the sinful thought can't even get past the front door because the Holy Spirit's there to answer the door and then take it ca- captive and say, hey, don't worry about this. I'm taking that thought captive. Wait, 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 wait. I'm taking this thought captive. So say, how could Satan ever then gain control? He's already said Satan gain, can gain control, render you powerless and enslave you. Well, wait a minute. I don't understand. So the Holy Spirit can do it, but the Holy Spirit doesn't always do it. Well, why doesn't the Holy Spirit always do it? Or we would not be commanded to do this. 
we are bringing every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Okay, another theological fallacy. If God commands it, we can do it. That is utterly not true. He gives us the law that we can't keep to clearly show us that we can't do it so that we will run to Christ who did do it so that we can then, by faith, put our faith in him doing it so that his passive and active obedience is accredited to our account. It's utterly ridiculous to say that every command we can do because that's not true. We cannot do the law. We cannot keep it. We are incapable Saved or unsaved, we cannot keep the law. And if you say you can keep the law as a saved person, then you're telling me you're sinless. Because to keep the law, you have to do it perfectly. You have to do it internally and externally, and you have to do it perpetually. So it's it's foolish to say that the law, that any law you read, you can do. No, any law you can do, you're going to, any law that you read, you can't do, and you have to run to Christ. Who did? All that was commanded, he obeyed it all. He fulfilled all righteousness. And what are your alternatives? If your thoughts are not captive to the obedience or lordship of Christ, they will be captive to the lordship of Satan. So you really don't have a lot of choice, saints. Now wait. So my thoughts are either captive to the lordship of Christ or to the lordship of Satan, meaning Satan is now lord of my thinking. But you just say, and he says, you don't have a choice, saints. Wait a minute. You already said that I can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can. So why do I have to do anything? Is the Holy Spirit the one doing it or not? No, you say, no, the Holy Spirit can do it, but he needs you to do it. So is it the Holy? I don't understand who is doing it and how do I do it? but you've already said that Satan can actually take control. Once he takes control, then how do I regain control since he's controlling my thinking? You're going to be the under Christ's lordship or the lordship of the enemy. And that is not a good alternative. Folks, I've I've just got to take time and turn with me to Romans 7. Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians 10. You have got to see this. How is it that Satan gets thoughts into your mind. This is critically important. Okay, so we're getting we're getting ready to see how Satan gets the thoughts there. How does how do they get in? Because supposedly the Holy Spirit's there to take them all captive, but for, he doesn't explain why the Holy Spirit doesn't. So now we're going to find out how they get in. How do they get in? How do they get past the Holy Spirit? How because the Holy Spirit's there and he can take every thought captive. So obviously there's some thoughts he don't take captive. So how do they get past the Holy Spirit? What what is wrong with the Holy Spirit? So we're getting ready to find out because he's going to take us to Romans 7 to show us where the Holy Spirit slips up or the Holy Spirit misses it or the I, the Holy Spirit does something wrong. I have a feeling he's not going to blame the Holy Spirit, he's going to blame me. So if he's going to blame me, but he already said the Holy Spirit can do it, why wouldn't the whole I don't understand, but let's, let's find, I, so now remember, we're getting ready to get blamed for this. We're getting ready to get blamed now, but of course, wait, we don't have a sinful nature that's gone. We're a new creature. The old is completely gone. Everything is new, but somehow this is about to be our fault. What do we do wrong? I share with you a moment ago, I do not believe 
that an evil, unclean, immoral, hurtful thought ever develops or originates from the heart of the saint. Okay, so no no sinful thought at all. No hurtful thought. Nothing wrong ever originates from within a saint. When you go to work tomorrow, I want you to look at all your uh, all your non-Christian friends and I want you to say, "Guys, I don't know what's wrong with you. You have these evil thoughts that are arise from within you, but let me tell you something. I never have a negative thought. I never have a bad thought. I never have an immoral thought because I am completely new inside. And they're going to laugh you out of the building because they know how you think. They've seen how you think. And you, you no, 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 no. It's not my thinking. Satan put it there. Satan put it there. Satan put it there. This is a complete denial of anything. You don't ever have to take up for every wrong thought I've ever had. Ladies and gentlemen, don't blame me. It was Satan. Now you can blame me, I guess, because I opened the door. I still don't know why I opened the door. If the Holy Spirit's the one taking every thought captive, I don't know. I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to blame Satan. I'm going to blame the Holy Spirit. According to this hypothesis, the Holy Spirit can take every thought captive. The, the thought didn't originate inside of me. It came from Satan. So Satan brought the thought and the Holy Spirit let it in. I'm off the hook. I told you that before I came to this understanding, I would be on my knees and have a Texas chainsaw massacre type thought run through my mind. I'm on my knees in prayer. And I used to beat myself up. I think, oh God, I am trash. Here I am talking to you and out of my heart comes this kind of evil, vile thought. And I, I mean, that would just basically destroy my prayer time. You can understand that. But when I understood that because I'm a new creature in Christ, there's no way that thought can come out of my heart because my heart's been redeemed. I stopped condemning myself. I realized where that thought was coming from in this passage. Hey, I stopped condemning myself. Hey, 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 don't, don't consider yourself sinful. Don't consider yourself trash. Hey, those thoughts didn't come inside of you. They came from the devil. The devil made you do it. The devil made you do it. The devil made you think that. I mean, this is the, this is the epitome of don't have to take any personal responsibility other than, oh, well, well, there's going to be some personal responsibility because we're about to get blamed. But hey, you're going to get blamed, but you can't really get blamed because it didn't originate from in you. So, so no bad anything comes from inside of you. I mean, come on, man. Let's, let's tell the world how good we are. Hey, everyone out there, when you see all that messed up stuff going on in churches and the life of believers, hey, 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 hey. That's because Satan gave us that thought. Not because we're bad people. We're perfect people because we're new creatures. All the old is gone. We don't have any sinful thoughts or desires. We're not like you trashy people. We're better than you. Now, I know he, he's not stating that explicitly, but it's clearly implied in the way he is teaching this hypothesis. Is one of the clues that set me in on this. Alright, in Romans chapter 7, we're going to look at verses 21 through 25. I encourage you to study the whole passage. Paul talks about sin, the power of indwelling sin in Romans 7. 
He doesn't talk about sin in the abstract. The sin he's talking about here has consciousness, intellect, and will. Sounds personal, doesn't it? I think it is something. I'm not sure exactly what it is. Verse 21, I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind, and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. Talking about his body. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Sure, I'm glad he gave the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind and serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh, the law of sin. Paul says that in your unredeemed body, not in your redeemed spirit or soul, but in your unredeemed body, there is an enemy who dwells there. And that enemy is the power of indwelling sin. It is an enemy. Okay, now wait, 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 wait. I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new. But there's indwelling sin? I thought he said that there is no indwelling sin, right? Because none originates from within. I, I am so confused. So I'm a new creature. The old is gone. Everything is new, but there's still indwelling sin. There's still indwelling sin. I. <sighs> okay, okay, Let, let's continue. Why is it that sin is real and why do I succumb? Well, the Bible explains that. It is through the power of indwelling sin that Satan serves up thoughts into your mind. So it's the power of indwelling sin that Satan uses to serve up thoughts to your mind. But if it's the power of indwelling sin, then it's the indwelling sin. If it's indwelling sin, then I'm not a new creature and the old is not all, the, old, the old is not gone and everything is new. You've already told me I don't know that none of the thoughts arises, arises from within. So he, what he's saying is we have indwelling sin and that indwelling sin then is what Satan uses to put the thought there. But the thought doesn't arise from that indwelling sin. So the indwelling sin doesn't produce the thought. Satan has to bring the thought and then the indwelling sin lets the thought in. But wait a minute, I thought you said the Holy Spirit will take every thought captive. So then does my indwelling sin more powerful than the Holy Spirit? Now he, he, he spent so much time saying none of this arises from within, but now he's saying we've got the power of indwelling sin. There's indwelling sin. Indwelling, meaning in me. But he's like, no, it's not inside of you. It's just, I guess it's inside my, my physical flesh. It's not inside my, it's not, it's not inside my nature. So my, so my nature is all good, but my flesh, I guess my body has indwelling sin, but it's that, it's, so it's my body. It's not inside of me. So, so, so is my nature different than my, my body? My body is, Oh, this is, this is getting all, like, I need a chart to figure out how to even process any of this. Now, unless you are willing to embrace that, 
you will not gain victory over the enemy. Okay, now wait. I cannot have victory unless I embrace this truth. Now, wait a minute. You told me that Christ, that the Holy Spirit indwells me to make me more than a conqueror, that I'm victorious. But now I cannot have any victory unless I embrace the idea that it's indwelling sin that Satan utilizes to place the thought inside of me. I must understand that or I can't have victory. No, wait a minute. So then, so it's my understanding that gives me victory or is it God who gives me victory? Because it sounds like that the Holy Spirit who supposedly can take every thought captive can't really take every thought captive until I understand that it's in my indwelling sin that'll... But I didn't think I had indwelling sin, but I guess I do have indwelling sin. Satan serves up thoughts that you and I must identify and reject. We all know that Satan is the father of what? Lies. Exactly. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. Okay. I thought he said, I can't do this. The Holy Spirit's the one who does this. But now he's telling me I have to recognize it and I have to reject it. But why would I reject it if I have indwelling sin? Because indwelling sin may not then not want to reject it. That's why I'm going to continue to sin. But he seems to say that I have the power to say no to any thought. Well, if I have the power to say no to any thought, then indwelling sin doesn't really have any power. So does it have power? Does it not? Do I have more power? I, can I? Can I not do it? Is it in me? Is it not in me? I, do I have a sinful nature, but I don't have a sinful nature? Exactly. He is a liar. He is the great deceiver. We all understand that. Now, if Satan, through the power of indwelling sin, were to serve up this thought, you know, you are a loser. A real loser. Most of us would say, who said that? Who said that? Who's in my head? And you would immediately be alerted that somebody's playing with your mind. Oh, man. Okay, so someone, someone, Satan is in your mind, but you can then determine that someone is in your mind? If someone is in your mind, wouldn't the very first thing they do is take away your ability to know that someone is in your mind? If Satan is the father of lies, then he would come in your mind and tell you there's no one in your mind. You're in complete control of your mind. Any thought you have is 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 not coming from any other source. So Satan can get into your mind, but you're with with your mind, you can then perceive that there's someone in your mind. But if someone is in your mind, then they would have control of your mind. Hey, Satan can get in your mind, but you still have access to your mind to be able to determine that someone is in your mind. I don't understand. Satan can... I, I man, this is so... I don't even know how this works. Like, oh, man. I, mean, I want to understand it. I want to understand it. And and but look, look, you, by all means, you go listen to this. And if this is the the perspective you want to follow, follow it. That's all. By all means, I'm not even telling you not to follow it. I'm saying that they're presenting their hypotheses. And that's awesome. I'm critiquing and offering a completely different hypothesis. And my hypothesis is I can't even map this out. I can't even chart this out. Say, you're, like you're going, wait, who's in my mind? Who's in my mind? Well, wait a minute. 
That means I'm using my mind to determine who's in my mind. But the person that's in my mind is controlling my mind or at least messing with my mind. So how can the person be in my mind yet? I know there is. So it's like, there's, there's, I don't even know how that works. Why would I be able to trust any thought that I have if Satan is in my mind? Once Satan gets in my mind, I don't want to trust any of my thoughts. Satan is the deceiver. Now, God will speak to you. God is not about deception. He'll always let you know that it is he who is speaking. Wait a minute. So now God is going to speak. This God is going to speak outside of his word. This is extra biblical revelation. So God is God is always going to let you know when he is speaking. So so now wait a minute. So God is going to speak to you, but he's not going to speak to you. Is he going to speak to you in your mind? So no, because your Satan is in your mind, but then God is going to speak to you. So God God now speaks to you. So now we've got come we we've <laughs> So now we have extra biblical revelation going on. Oh man, alive. Okay. This, this is straight out of the charismatic playbook at this point. So we have extra biblical revelation. Satan is in your mind, but then God's going to come and talk to you. And God's going to tell you, no, 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 no. It's not Satan. It's me. But maybe Satan is telling your mind that it's God when it's really not God. Maybe Satan is going to say, hey, God is talking to you, but it's not really God. I mean, how do I know? How do I process if God is talking to me? Don't I have to have my mind to process what God is saying? Or does God speak to me and I can hear it apart from my mind? Because Satan is in my mind. What Satan will do is he will serve thoughts up to you through the power of indwelling sin. Put them in your mind. First person pronouns this thought. I am a loser. Why would he do such a thing? Well, because if you're driving down the road and you've had a bad day at the office and you think, boy, I am a real loser. I cannot do anything right. Would you say, who put that thought in my head? Where'd it come from? You wouldn't say that. You would say, yeah, I'm a real loser. See, the, it just rang the doorbell of your mind and you open the door and you let it in. And you start dwelling on it. Man, I am a real loser. I can't do anything right. That is the God's truth. I am just a real loser. And you see, Satan's already working his wiles, his strategies. He's got you where he wants you. Now, would God ever say to you, I am a loser? No. I don't think God would ever say to you, you know something? You are a real loser. And the reason I don't think God would say that to one of his children is because you're not a loser in Christ. It's not who you are. Do you make mistakes? Do I make mistakes? Yes. Do we falter and fail in many ways? Yes. But as long as there's a Christ who lives in our heart and a Holy Spirit who indwells us, there's always a new beginning and losers can become winners. So God would never serve a thought up like that. Would God serve up a thought that would say to you, boy, I'm not really happy in my marriage. I wonder what it would be like to be with that person. Would God serve that thought up to you? No. And if your heart is redeemed, would that thought come out of your heart? I don't think so. So as soon as that thought comes to your mind, you're thinking, whoa, wait a minute, who said that to me? Okay, so who said that to me? Now remember, so, but it was indwelling, so indwelling sin, but indwelling sin doesn't produce the thought. Indwelling sin only allows the thought in. But I thought the Holy Spirit was there to take every thought captive.
This is like the power of positive thinking is really what this is turning into. Hey, you're not a sinner. I mean, I mean, you have indwelling sin, but you're not really a sinner because no evil thought would ever come from within you. So all you got to do, who put that thought there? Who put that thought there? Who put that thought, thought there? And if I just say, who put that thought there? Then I guess then I'm taking thought captive. I thought I couldn't keep the thought captive. See, the Holy Spirit had to do it, but the Holy Spirit doesn't do it. I have to do it. Or am I doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit? And if I'm doing it through the power of the Holy Spirit, then I should be able to do it every single time. Therefore, should no thought should ever impact my feelings. Therefore, no thought should ever impact my actions. Therefore, I should be sinless. He would never put those thoughts in your mind, but Satan sure would. And he would serve them up into your mind through the power of indwelling sin. What about the uh, individual who embezzled the money? Would God ever... See, through the power of indwelling sin. But he said that I'm a new creature and that the old was gone and I no longer have indwelling sin. But he's separating indwelling sin that indwelling sin is just like in my physical body, but it's not actually in my nature because my nature is complete. But then if even if you remove it from my nature, if I still have indwelling sin in my body, then it's still serving the same purpose and still serving as the same action as a sinful nature. Other than according to him, the indwelling sin cannot produce a thought, a sinful thought. (laughs) So then what does the indwelling sin do? It doesn't produce evil thoughts. It just will allow the evil thought in. But then the Holy Spirit supposedly takes them captive, but I guess the Holy Spirit doesn't take them captive. I'm supposed to take them captive. But if I just say, who put that thought there? Then I guess then it doesn't have any power. Therefore, I can do this every single time. Therefore, I should never sin. Like I, the whole thing. So I guess indwelling sin really doesn't do anything. Well, then if it doesn't do anything, then why even say that I have it? Never said to that person, I know that... Uh... I am in financial distress, and the best way to do it is take money from my boss who doesn't really need it. Would God serve up that thought? No. Would that thought come out of our hearts? No. Why? Because it's unrighteousness. Folks, this is key. Man, the arrogance of that. We... That those thoughts would never arise from us because we are the redeemed. We never think this way. That is... (laughs) <laughs> oh man, oh, we got to finish this. We got to finish this. I, I've got to be done with this. I, 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 I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to make it. I, I'm going to, I'm going to need medical attention before this is over. And it is critical to our understanding. Let me give you the standard. How do you know if a thought is coming from your heart or is being served up to you by Satan. It's very simple. All thoughts that are not consistent with the character and the will of Jesus are coming from the enemy. Isn't that simple? So so every bad thought is Satan is Satan. Never you, never you, never. Every bad thought, that's Satan, 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 Satan. Now, of course, it can't be Satan himself because he's not omnipresent. So so Satan is a, and has an army of demons who just hang out with you and it's every bad thought. Now, just think of how many bad thoughts you get a day. That's all, the, uh, that's all demons do, just give you bad thoughts. Give you bad thoughts, give you bad thoughts, give you bad thoughts. That's what demons do. If a thought is unchristlike, then it's not from Christ. It's not from the Holy Spirit. It's not from your heart. 
it is being served up to you by the enemy. This thought. Person thinking about committing suicide. Nobody loves me. How could anybody love me? Would that be served up by the Holy Spirit? No. Because God loves every Christian. He loves everybody. Or this one. I do not have any hope that things would ever get better. People who commit suicide are hopeless. Would God ever say to somebody, put in their mind that thought, it's, it's hopeless. There's no hope for me. There's oh, this is so... Because sometimes your emotion overrides your thinking. But he thinks your thinking is in control of your emotions. Oh, it, it's just, this is a, I don't even know what to do with this. This thing falls apart theologically, falls apart psychologically, physiologically, it, 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 neurologically, if you study the mind and how the brain works and how emotions and brains and how in the different part of the brain and then how emotions are also impacted by other physiological issues. This just, this is, I don't even know what any of this is. I, it, this is, I don't even know what anyone could tell. Uh, you know what uh, people will take away from this? Well, I have bad thoughts and that's because Satan put them there. So every bad thought is not my fault. It's Satan. It's Satan. Satan put Satan. I, well, why did you do that? Well, because I was thinking the wrong way because Satan put that thought there. You never have to take any personal responsibility, I guess, other than letting it in. But then I, but he already said that you can't take all the thoughts captive, but the Holy Spirit can. But now he's not explaining why the Holy Spirit's not taking them captive. Because he's now putting the emphasis that you have to take them captive by going, oh, wait, where did that thought come from? Wait, that's not from God and it's not from me. It has to be from Satan. Well, that puts then it's your responsibility to take them captive. But he already acknowledged that we can't do it, but the Holy Spirit can. So if the Holy Spirit can, then why does it ever happen? Why does anything ever go wrong? There's no solution to my problems. Would God serve that thought up? No. But see, have people ever embraced that thought as their own? Sure you have. That is not from God. Is that thought, there is no hope, consistent with the character and the will of the Lord Jesus Christ? No. As long as Jesus is on His throne, there is hope. So folks, do you understand? If any thought does not conform and is not consistent with Jesus' character, His heart, or His will, then it is a thought that is coming from your enemy. And you must reject it in the name of Jesus. Boy, I wonder what in the world it would be like to be married to that lady. You know him. Oh, wait a minute. Red lights go off, guys. Red lights are flashing. Wait a minute. That is not from God. I've not embraced that. I reject that thought. I am not going there. And you kick the devil in the teeth. So you're doing this. You're doing this. You, you kick the devil in the teeth. You take thought of your, of, uh, you take captive your thoughts. Now, I, I got no problem saying we're supposed to, but once again, see that, it, that thought did not come from inside of you because you're, you're perfect. 
You're sinless. But wait, you have indwelling sin. He didn't ever explain that because he said that we're a new creature and the old is gone and everything is new. However, something is not new. We have indwelling sin. However, the thoughts don't originate from you. I still don't know how to even figure that out. But hey, you don't have to feel bad because that wasn't your thought. Satan put it there. Satan put it there. So I don't know what bad thoughts you may have tonight, but hey, don't feel bad. Satan put them there. You just have to go, Satan, I'm going to kick you in the teeth. I'm going to kick you in the teeth. You are. Uh, I'm going to share one more thing quickly with you because I think it's it very uh, helpful in illustrating this. There have been some individuals in churches where I've served who did not understand me, who have said very hurtful, painful things about me. And because How could that happen in church? How could, how could people do mean things like that in church since nobody has a sinful nature? Oh, Satan put those thoughts in their head and then they said these mean things. So it's all Satan. It's all Satan. It's because Christians are basically perfect. It, but you know how we can explain away our imperfection? Because Satan puts thoughts in our head. Even though the Holy Spirit can take every thought captive, he clearly doesn't always do so. Why does he not do so? I don't know. I'm not getting any answers. Because of their love for Becky, I think they took it a little easier on me than they would have otherwise. But I remember one day, this lady, boy, she had said so many hurtful things about me, and I just kept forgiving her, kept forgiving her, kept forgiving her. Unilaterally, just kept forgiving her. But this is ten years later. I'm in Texas. I'm driving to the hospital. I start thinking about this lady and the things she did to hurt me. And I start reliving those things because I can forgive, but it's hard for me to forget. I start reliving those things. Boy, I'm feeling, I'm thinking, I should have said this to her. I should have said that to her. That would have turned her water off. Boy, that would have put her in her place. And I'm going to the hospital. I'm going to visit one of you, okay? What state am I going to be in when I get to your room? I'm ready to sock somebody. How? Am I going to read a scripture of comfort? No, it'll be a scripture of judgment. Seriously. What the Holy Spirit does is He just smites me. And I hear Him saying, these thoughts are not under the Lordship of Christ. No, wait, so now, so now we have the Holy Spirit back involved. All right, so now the Holy Spirit will tell you when your thinking is not when you have the wrong thoughts. So the Holy Spirit, so the Holy Spirit's going to do this. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. Is it you? Is it the Holy Spirit? And if the Holy Spirit's doing it, then you, your thoughts can never last very long because you've got the Holy Spirit to always stop it. So does the Holy Spirit always stop it? I don't know. I'm, uh, this thing is all over the place. I don't even know. I just need this car to stop so I can get out. Boy, he puts me in my place. And I repent and I say, you're absolutely right, Lord. I forgive that lady one more time, yet again. I forgive her. She owes me nothing. And I put it under the blood. Have I won the victory? Yes. Do I have good days in battling with my thought life? Yes. Do I have not such good days battling in my thought life? Yes. And so will you. But folks, you and I are called to the battle. And every day is a battle for your mind. Okay, we'll stop there. You can go listen to the rest. Uh, how Satan gets into your head. That's what we've been working on now for what? Three, four, five hours. I don't even know how many hours we've spent on this. I don't know. I don't even know how to summarize that hypothesis. I really don't. 
other than supposedly you don't have a sinful nature, no bad thoughts ever arise from you. However, you have indwelling sin and the indwelling sin Satan uses. All bad thoughts come from Satan. They don't come from inside of you. However, the Holy Spirit, you can't take them all captive, but the Holy Spirit can. But obviously, sometimes the Holy Spirit doesn't because he even just admitted there, you're going to have bad days and we're going to fall and we're going to sin sometimes. I don't know why we're falling and sinning since we don't have a sinful nature. And the Holy Spirit's going to supposedly take every thought captive, but then he doesn't take every thought captive. I don't even know how it works. And then Satan, again, it can't be Satan since he's not omnipresent. So it's demons who spend all of their time giving you bad thought, bad thought, bad thought, bad thought, and they never arise. It never arises from within you. You get off the hook free. Other than, I guess, if you dwell on the thought. But if you dwell on the thought, is that your fault? Because he already said that you can't take every thought captive, but the Holy Spirit can. So if the Holy Spirit can take every thought captive, then it's the Holy Spirit's fault for not taking it captive. So I don't even know. I, I, don't, I don't know what you do with any of this. Just, hey, hey, stop thinking that way. Come on. Just think positive thoughts. Come on. That's the answer. Just stop thinking bad things. There you go. There you go. And then you'll, you'll have victory. So Christians, you can be perfect. Just stop thinking bad things. Now, there's no reason you should think bad things because the Holy Spirit can take every thought captive. I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. No. Obviously, I disagree. But I am not telling you not to believe that. You, by all means, go believe it if that's what you want to do. I'm not, I'm not here to argue with you. I've presented it and I've given you where to find it. Go to Sermons 2.0 app, t- uh, search for how Satan gets into your head. Listen to it without my, my analysis, without my critique, without me putting forth a counter argument. Go listen to it. Take notes. Memorize it. Listen to it 50 times. You go follow that. Just take it all the way to its logical conclusion. Because if Satan can get into my brain that much, I don't know then at that point what you're supposed to, I don't know then how you can trust any thought. And if he can control my brain that much, I, I, I don't even know what you're supposed to do. And then this also offered up extra biblical revelation where God speaks directly to you apart from scripture. So then the Bible is, is, it's not the final revelation. God's giving you specific revelation about your actual thinking and what, what thoughts are his and what thoughts are not his. That, that's, uh, oh, I, I don't even, I don't even know how you process any of that. But you, but you, by all means, take it, run with it. And if that's the way you want to live your Christian life, go live your Christian life that way. I couldn't do that. I, that would make literally no sense to me in any way, shape or form. I know this. I'm a sinner. I have a sinful nature, and that sinful nature produces sinful desires, sinful thoughts, and they come from within. There's also a world system out there that presents all kinds of wrong thoughts. I don't even need Satan to get anywhere near me. Whether Satan is putting thoughts in my head or not in my head, if Satan somehow can get thoughts in my head and can start messing with my brain, well, then I don't know how I can trust any thought that I ever had, because then I would have a spiritual being literally messing with my brain. You can tell me your thoughts. <laughs> Are they your thoughts? Could they be Satan's thoughts? I don't know. You can tell me something and you can email it to me at newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com.
gmail.com. Now that concludes the review part of all of this. We still may do a little bit of discussion about like John 10, 10, um, because that was a major part of how he got Satan to second Corinthians. Satan is not mentioned in second Corinthians, right? Not in the section that he read. So he had to get Satan there by taking him from John 10, 10 and Satan is not in John 10, 10. That's not about Satan. That's about the religious leaders. Okay. So we, we need to do a little work on that. Maybe we'll grab some audio from some other messages about what Satan supposedly can or can't do. And, uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up this mini series. So we, we may do a couple of more things in the mini series, but for the most part, we've set out to do what we, we, we were going to do, right? I gave you an assignment about you figuring out what Satan can or can't do. And then we've listened to someone put their hypotheses of what Satan can do. And I've challenged that hypothesis. We've stumbled upon John 10, 10, and we've stumbled upon other issues. And well, you can then process all of that. And I'm grateful. Look, I disagree, but I'm grateful the sermon is there. I'm grateful someone found it because this has challenged me to rethink all of this completely. And there was much there that I wanted to agree with, but at some point it seemed to just completely go, well, I guess all of my theology I mean, it's almost like, you know, you don't have a sinful nature. God is speaking to you outside of the Bible. It's got issues. I mean, I, 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 re- I, no, 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 that's, that's, no, 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 no. So that's okay. That's, that's the world of Christianity. Nobody agrees on anything. But I'm grateful that it's there because it challenged us to spend multiple hours thinking about these things. So I've told you so many times during the Sermons 2.0 app challenge where each day you're grabbing a random sermon from that app. It's not about whether you're going to agree with it or disagree with it. It's about it's forcing you to think about scripture and about theology and about doctrine. Sometimes it's the sermons that I disagree the most with that sometimes can be the most beneficial because now this has gotten me thinking all about this so that I got to try to figure some things out and, and continue to, to, to work on my own perspectives and, and challenge myself. So this is not about being negative about it. It's about, hey, this gave us a hypothesis. We're challenged by that hypothesis. So by no, go, go follow them, go listen to them. By no means am I saying anything negative. I'm saying I disagree with this particular hypothesis. And that's, that's okay. Because now it's going to force me to rethink my own. So I'm grateful for it. And hopefully you are as well. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night. I'm exhausted Woo, that took a lot of work. Hopefully, some of it benefited someone. Thanks for listening, and God bless.